All right, this new Street Fighter Interactive figurine came in. This will make a great review for the blog. I can pop this open and, uh, hey, it's already turned on. What gives? Hadouken! Ow! Hadouken! Hey, quit it! Hadouken! Jeez, turn off already! Oh, I'm glad I didn't buy the Blanca. again to Joystick Journeys, your all-encompassing, almost all-random po gaming podcast. We are, of course, the sister podcast with Flower City Comic Con. You can find them every Wednesday on the FC3 Mighty Monkey, Monkey Business Podcast. So if you listen to us, why aren't you listening to them? They're the ones who are... We're the offshoot of them. We're the spinoff. They're the main series. Yeah, we're, we, we're, we're, we're just the afterthought. <laughs> Yeah, for now. Until until a third podcast comes along, and then we'll be the middle child. Well, the middle child's always fun. No one notices that. We get away with more. <laughs> right. So, I, of course, am James Irish, joined, as always, by Chrissy Hello, Harding. Hello, everybody. And today we have a special guest. Our special guest is... Noted webcomic artist, longtime fighting game fan, and a long friend of mine, Pembroke W. Corgi. Hello. Um, Pemmy, how have you been doing of late? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer that question. <laughs> um, it is 2020 after all. Um, yeah, this this has been uh, this has been the year that took a look at 2016 and said, "Hold my beer." <laughs> pretty much. Gosh, um, uh, busy is probably the best word to describe how I've been lately. Because uh, other than as I'm usually pretty busy as is doing like my webcomic Dapukas at Dapukas.com, D-A-P-U-K-A-S.com, as well as uh, doing both uh, arcade game reviews and uh, cartoon reviews on my uh, YouTube channel, Ar Artificial Orange Studios. Uh, which is always keeps me busy. Um, since uh, this uh, pandemic started, my job has, uh, my day job has been like pretty much like, you know, that work that was stressing you out. Well, you can do three times more of that now. So, mm. yay. <laughs> but I'm glad to be here because uh, this is fun. I haven't done a podcast in very very long time so and we will be uh, mentioning uh, where you can find all his work again at the end of the episode so uh if you if you missed it then you'll catch it there yeah. but so today we are going to be talking about the street fighter franchise and we're going to actually get into it right after this break
as you know, we were all talking, this episode's all going to be about Street Fighter 2, or Street Fighter in general. I only say 2 because it's the only Street Fighter I'm actually kind of know about. To me, they're just button masher games. I'm sorry. For all of you who are like, there's strategy. I, I mash buttons. I'm, I'm a button masher. That's my confession today. You wouldn't be alone. I, I know a couple others. I think it doesn't matter as long as you're enjoying the game, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's really funny because um, at my workplace, when I used to work for AOL, um, we used to have a game room because when we did tech support, we had to know how to work everything. So they gave us all this technology, and we used to have injustice tournaments. And I used to piss everyone off because I had one move, and that was headbutt as Batman. <laughs> well... Bruce Wayne was known for using his head. True. He goes from Batman to Buttman. <laughs> and they used to take, they're like, do something else. I'm like, I don't know how. Headbutt, headbutt, headbutt. It's like Fireball in like D&D. What do you cast? I cast Fireball. Or Eldritch Blast. Or Sacred Flame. That's another one I was always good for when I played a cleric. Just, or Magic Missile. I never got to the point of having Magic Missile. Because everyone used to get bored by the time we got to the point I could get that. And I was like, oh, you people stuck. You suck so much. I want Magic Missile. I don't only know about it from that one. I, I never played D&D very much. I just mostly know about that like old skit where it's like, I can't alive Missile. It's like, there's nothing to cast it at. I cast it at the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we really are descended from the Monkey Business Podcast. We're already on a massive tangent. <laughs> and I see absolutely nothing wrong with this. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I'm. If you've watched any of my videos, I'm pretty bad about that too. So. Oh, that's fine. You're going to fit right in. James actually showed me your arcade funhouse, and I'm literally watching. I watched like uh, Solomon's Key, Dam uh, Demon World, all those. I'm like, oh my God, where has this been most of my YouTube in life? Like, I, I am now addicted to arcade funhouse. I love it. I love it. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I, I definitely could use more promotion at the moment because it. Uh, I, I love doing it, but it's it's not, not getting quite as much views as some of the others. Well, it's probably the second most viewed thing on my channel. Um, but it's it's the thing I enjoy doing the most. Uh, my favorite episode is the Mappy episode. is my all-time favorite from that. I'm now adding that to the list to watch as soon as we are done here. I have a list. <laughs> <laughs> so, attempting to find the rails again, uh, let's start by talking a little bit about pre-Street Fighter history, the or the previous one-on-one -on -one fighter games, because there were really only two of note that I was aware of. Uh, Data East's Karate Champ in 1984, which kind of skewed a little more towards simulation with the dual joysticks and the, and the buttons, giving you a variety of different karate techniques. And you know, it was structured the same way as a real-world karate tournament. And then the following year, Konami came out with Yi'ar Kung Fu, which started to get a little bit more on the fantastical side, where you had fighters with weapons. It was a bit more of a a, a wire kung fu sort of thing. The jumps were defying physics to a massive degree. 
And it was into that context that Capcom, two years later, brought out the original Street Fighter in 1987. And at least here in the West, it kind of landed like a wet fart. Yeah, uh, I I think releasing it with, like, pressure buttons didn't help either. Um, Because I remember that was one of the specific things about the original Street Fighter. And I think it was just the American release, but I could be wrong. Was they did, instead of the... uh, six buttons for like strong medium and fierce it was like they had these giant pressure buttons that depending on how hard you hit them would depend on how hard you uh your character would punch or kick and it required you to hit it really hard and thus there was a lot of uh a lot of uh maintenance issues which caused a big problem for you know arcade owners well yeah because that stuff's expensive Yeah, the pressure the yeah, the pressure sensitive pads were uh were considered the deluxe version of the cabinet. And uh, apparently the regular version was the one with the six button configuration we're familiar with today. And that was uh and that did apparently get some release in the states, but I think the deluxe one was just better known because of the sheer novelty factor of those pressure buttons. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that makes sense. It's kind of hard to forget something about that if you see it. Um, I only remember seeing Street Fighter once or twice in the wild and for somewhere uh, in when I was a kid and for whatever reason, it didn't interest me as a kid for some reason. Um, it wasn't until Street Fighter 2 came out that where I was like, oh, hey, I like this. Yeah, I never even saw the first Street Fighter at all yeah. when I was growing up. I only saw the arcade machine after the fact like rough i want to say roughly uh nine or eight years ago at the strong museum of play yeah nice. one of one of our local institutions which by the way pemi we got to get you up to rochester you will love the strong museum i already love the strong museum just by yeah. what you've already the told second me. floor of it's nothing but arcade cabinets and video games and then they actually have on the third floor is actually um, every so often they'll do tours up there where you could see everything that's been turned into them. And that's actually the first time I've seen a Street Fighter arcade cabinet was actually in the collections. Um, when we first did our first video game, they did their first video game weekend when I used to work for them. They did a tour up there. My friend Shannon Simons, who um, used to work for them, she did the tour. And I saw it. I'm like, wait, there was a Street Fighter 1? Like, it, it was never on my radar. I figured the whole thing started with two. Um, and, the, you know, and then realizing now, like, in preparation for this, I didn't realize there was, like, seven versions of, like, Street Fighter 2. Oh, God, there's a lot. <laughs> I was like, wait, you didn't just didn't call it Street Fighter 3? Like, it was, nope, there was World Warrior Turbo, Hyper Turbo, Champion Edition, World Warrior Champion. I, like... They milked like the cast of two for all it's worth, apparently. <laughs> and they still are. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, interesting, uh, just interesting thing. Uh, there was almost a Street Fighter. There was actually multiple times there was almost a Street Fighter Two sequel before Street Fighter Two. Um, yeah, exactly. You're, that's right. In fact, uh, Chrissy, you would know the initial one of the initial attempts at a Street Fighter Two better as Final Fight. Yes. Yes, all final fight. <laughs> it was originally going to be uh, Street Fighter 86, I think was what they were originally going to title that before they decided to just name it Final Fight instead. Yeah. Um, 
Interesting note, though, there was also almost a computer exclusive one called uh, because a company called Tiratex uh, that also worked for a company called U.S. Gold, which is really weird because U.S. Gold is actually a European company. Yeah, they chose the name because they wanted because they were primarily focused on porting uh, American games initially. Yep, and they did a port to uh, various PCs uh, of Street Fair Street Fair One. And we're trying to get, uh, and they made a sequel for the PC that they were trying to get Capcom to endorse, which Capcom turned down. And it ended up instead being released as Human Killing Machine. And uh, yeah, it's a good thing Capcom turned that down because that game is really, 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 really bad and got released unfinished. Like, so bad that the, the... that the uh, final boss uh, wasn't even programmed into the game, and instead it's a glitched-out version of one of the previous fighters. Oh my goodness, that reminds me of Smash TV. Which, uh, it sound, which sounds like a complete non-sequitur, but you, you know the end sequence, there's supposed to be the quote-unquote pleasure dome? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They never programmed that into the initial arcade release because they didn't think anybody would get there. Exactly. <laughs> and then when people got there, they were like, hey, where are all the blondes? Yeah, it's kind of like you sit there and it's like, okay, I beat it. Like, I think they underestimated the power of a very determined gamer who had a lot of quarters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, come on. I mean, that's one of the reasons why um, one of the shows that I've been watching called High Score on Netflix, they were talking about the mods that were put in for Galica and Super pa- and Pac-Man because kids were beating those games and there was nothing after what they beat. So you had this like people making actual modifications to it. So after you beat the normal game, there was this backup mod board that would suddenly give you more game parts of the game to play, but randomized. So people kept feeding quarters in. And they actually got sued by Atari, I think. No, probably Midway, but yeah. yeah Midway. Sounds like no, uh, the General Computer Corp you're, you're describing there. Yeah. Well, they were uh, sued when they made a Missile Command mod. Yep, and then they started, yeah, it was actually, yeah, it's actually them. And it was interesting because they got sued, but then Midway had them sign an exclusive contract with them. Uh, so they can keep making these modifications because they were actually selling Midway kind of really wasn't losing money because people were buying the Missile Command games from them and getting the mods from them and arcades could keep making money off of the game. Yeah, and they eventually hire them to do stuff like uh, they made like Miss Pac-Man and mm-hmm. Junior Pac-Man. Yep. And they made Food Fight for Atari. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, interesting. Uh, interesting thing about that. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, you're fine. interrupt you. I was just going to say, an interesting thing about it is uh, when Atari was making games for the 7800, a lot of those games were made by uh, uh, General Computer. I forgot the name now. but they got, General Computer Corp. Yeah, they got hired to make the game, uh, majority of the games and ports for the 7800. They hold the record for the most vaguely specific game maker names. Yes, they do. <laughs> And it's interesting is because with like the different companies would make, I found this was interesting when I was younger because it was explained to me by someone, I guess, obviously older than me, was um, with Nintendo and even Sega. Like Sega was an American company, but they kind of took 
the name that they had was they wanted to sound like they were Japanese because people thought the Japanese gaming systems were better. Kind of a misnomer. So people were like, oh, Sega? Yeah, they must be out of Japan. Nope, they were out of Seattle. Which I thought was interesting because someone had told me that. And I was like, really? That kind of makes sense if you're going to compete against something. Yeah, service games. They started in the States and then they drifted into Japan. Yeah. Oh. So back onto the rails yet again. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this a lot today. I can already tell. Welcome to the theme of the show. It's how many times we can derail James. <laughs> <laughs> or how many times James can derail himself. Well, I didn't say you weren't in on so it. March 1991. So March 1991, Street Fighter Two comes out in Japan, slowly starts trickling into the States, and next thing you know, it's the second major shot in the arm arcades get within a few years. The first big one, I think, was Ninja Turtles uh, in 89. But, of course, that's going to be another story for another day. But uh, that, that was that was it. That was the point inflection point of the one-on-one fighting genre as we know it today. And the other night, cool thing about Street Fighter 2 was... Oh, and things were... Oh, go ahead, Pembroke. No, no, you can go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, and the other cool thing is, is with Street Fighter 2, we actually started getting more of a developed storyline for each of the characters you could pick. They all had a reason for being in the game. It wasn't just they were there to fight. They actually had their own motives, which I think is interesting. Yeah, you had, you had both uh, Guile and Chun-Li, who had personal vendettas with the uh, the end boss, Vega, or M. Bison, depending on which version. And we'll get into that naming uh, bit of oddness in a few moments. Thank you for that, Capcom. <laughs> and, you know, you had uh, Zangief fighting for national pride. Uh, uh, Ken, I believe, was was doing, doing it uh, to get in the lead up to his wedding, uh, odd way, odd wedding present that winning a tournament. I think it was in his case, uh, he was, people weren't believing that he was, uh, cause I think he was getting, he, he was fame. He actually became famous from his abilities and people were starting to question if he was really as good as. Yeah. As good as he said uh, he was. And cause I remember his ending was his girlfriend showing up and, She's like, no, I always believed in you, and and that led up to the wedding. Yeah. And then Ryu's just self-proving. It's like he fights for the sake of fighting. I want to fight. I want to find the strongest person and fight them. Yeah, he was the flattest character originally. Yeah. But he has improved in recent years. Well, I think also a lot of that comes out from the... A lot that comes from the anime, too, where a lot of these characters, after Street Fighter 2 really took off, they had, like, two different animes that came out with these characters and allowed them to flesh out who they were just a little bit more and what they were doing. What? The American Street Fighter cartoon isn't canon? (laughs) Actually, the American Street Fighter cartoon is actually one of the animes. It's just... You know, dubbing and what is allowed to be said in the United States versus what was actually written are two totally uh, different things. 
actually the American uh the Street Fighter cartoon the well the Street Fighter cartoon that was shown in America was American creation. But Yeah, but it was technically considered an anime because it actually was made here, premiered there, and then came back here. It was actually it was a mm. weird export. Because there was something weird with that one. I remember my friend Ken telling me that. He was like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's American made and went to Japan first. I'm like, that's odd. I think there's some confusion there because there is a Street Fighter anime TV series mm-hmm. that did get done in Japan, did got brought over here, but the Street Fighter cartoon series that was on TV... On USA Network. Oh, yeah, I was made completely for America. It wasn't shown in Japan. Oh, I don't know that one. I thought there was... I know there was two yeah. in Japan. Yeah, there is two in Japan, but there's one that was made specifically for America and... Oh. It's something. That's all I have to say. Because they made Guile the main character. The USA Network one drew on plot lines from the the movie, oh. the live action movie with Jean Claude Van Damme, Raul Julia, Ming Na Wayne, yeah. and Kylie Minogue. Which, by the way, yeah, I like. The only <laughs> Judge me now. It's a movie. Judge me now. I know. It, it, it's a fun but dumb movie. So. It's not meant to make you feel smarter. It's just meant to be there and just turn off your brain and just enjoy. It's a, heck it's of a very much popcorn yes. movie. It's a but it is Street Fighter in name only. Oh, it's a heck of a lot better than the uh, the Legend of Chun-Li movie. So. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've been told to save my money and my time. I've been purposefully avoiding it. It's The only thing worth it, apparently, is Michael Clark Duncan. Uh... <laughs> but he just knows he's it. He's in it for a paycheck, and he's just having fun. Uh, I'll, I'll just put it this way: what little I saw of it before I realized what it was, I thought it was a made-for-TV movie. That's how bad the effects were. Oh, good heavens! Yeah. Wow. Okay, that definitely kicks it off my list. And I'm a Chung Lee fan, uh, and she's one of my favorite characters. One of mine too, actually. Yeah. Um, that that makes three of us. <laughs> But uh, but what it but but what I appreciate about uh, the original Street Fighter Two game is that it it kind of established the archetypes of play styles for characters. You would have your your balanced all arounder, of course, which in this case would be Ryu and Ken. They, 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 there'd be a couple characters who would kind of mirror each other for for balanced matches. You would have your uh, your long range keep away character. In, in Dalzim, you'd have a more a reactive character in like Guile. You'd have the big grappler Zangief. Yeah. And then you'd have a couple others in there who f- kind of fill in the blanks of of a really aggressive in your face character. Oh, Rushdown. In Blanca, and I, I don't know where E Honda fits on that spectrum. Well, the thing, the interesting. Maybe he's. Well, many of the characters, while well, you can have them be, they could be put in archetypes. They can also kind of take from each other too, so they don't really fall under one archetype. Um, so I mean, Ihana. Right, I guess Ihana kind of like the midpoint between Blanca and Zangi. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, there's the. Um. It. it oh, go ahead. No, no, Sorry. no. You first, because I lost my thought. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say, also, I, I think it's it also pushed a lot of the ideas like the. Uh, what is basic fighting game commands now, like uh, the down the forward, the down the forward motions, and the uh, and the like charge maneuvers? 
So. And the Z for and the Z movement for the Dragon Punch. Yep. And that 360, I still cannot pull off to this day for the spinning pile driver. I can't either. My roommate is really good with uh, Zangief, and he can just do it instantly. And I'm always like mind blown every time he he'll just walk up and be like, <clears throat> and I'm like, how, how, how? It's like it's like I can even look at your hand, and I'm not even seeing how you're doing this. <laughs> I have to. Say, I, 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 right. I do have to say, Zangief is, Zangief is like one of my second favorite characters because he's with the original Street Fighter was made more for like the Shoto characters, the ones that do the dragon, you know, the kind of, you know, with the the energy moves and the power blasts and like. Yeah, they were the only playable characters in that. And one. then you had Zangief that was just he was not any of those things. He's a normal fighter, and it's like. I always cheered for him every time like any of my friends played him. And that's when you knew you had someone who was good at the game because they played Zangief. They played a grappler in this game, which was not meant, which was not put in any way, shape, or form for grapplers to do any good in these games. And he would, you know, that's when you knew you were in like, we were like, wow, you really have a handle on these controls for playing Zangief. Like that's when we used to like that was when we knew we were in like the presence of someone who was good. Was they would not play one of the blasting characters, the Shoto characters. They would just play. They he would play the grappler or the or the rushdown character that always rushes you and you know gets those close hits in. You know, but who could easily get killed by like a fireball. I, I always respect anyone I see who's good with grappler characters, which is why my roommate always gets respect from me, because he'll play Marvel vs. Capcom 2 with Zangief and do a good job, which is insane. <laughs> oh, man, that Marvel vs. Capcom 2, new age of beam spam. Hyper beam, hyper beam, hyper viper beam. Ice beam, ice beam. And so on. Ad nauseum. And yet he still will play Zangief and manage to kick people's asses. That's in- amazing. My favorite character in that one is always um, is always Deadpool. Just because he's a fun joke character. I'm not in the yeah, he would come the- around in 3. Yeah, he came around in 3. And yeah. I think my favorite, when I played him, and I didn't realize I could do it, and then I did it, was when he grabbed the health bar at the top. And started beating the other character with it. And I'm just like, I can do that as Deadpool? Like, like this is awesome. But yeah, anyone who plays Zangief in Street Fighter My favorite thing about- and especially the earlier games, mad props. Uh, my favorite thing about Deadpool doing that was like before when he got announced, but they hadn't shown anything about him before. I joked about that because I was like, because Deadpool's whole thing is his ability to break the fourth wall in the comics, and I was like, what's he gonna do? Grab the health bar, the health bar, and hit someone with it? And then when he actually did it, I just lost my, I, I lost it because it was it's freaking hilarious. Yeah, I think when I did it, and right. I didn't so even even do two. what I hit. And I did it. <laughs> okay. All right. Our third track rerail begins now. <laughs> I'm, I'm hey, that one was at least still fighting game related. Yes. <laughs> right. 
So, so the, as demand for Street Fighter Two skyrockets, Capcom responds first with the Championship Edition, which unlocks the boss characters as playable. So, so, so suddenly you had a roster of eight becoming a roster of twelve, with Balrog, Vega, Sagat, and M. Bison. Or if you're in Japan, M. Bison, Balrog, Sagat, and Vega. In now the order doesn't change. But the names do. <laughs> I told you I was coming back to that. Oh, and I think the reason for this was Capcom did not want to get sued by Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause- yep. since, uh, M- since in Japan, the boxer is M. Bison. Mike Tyson. You, you, see, you hear the resemblance mm-hmm. there. Well, which is even funnier because he actually... I think they may have decanonized this now, but he actually does appear in Street Fighter One under the name of Mike. Mike, yeah. And I think they decanonized it and now claim that as a different person, but it originally was the same person. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of this came from the fallout from Punch Out because it used to be Mike Tyson's Punch Out, and then I, th- I don't know what happened right. if they sued him or if there was a falling out, but then they changed it to just regular Punch Out. And his character went... The contract is expired. That was all it was. Oh, okay. They just decided not to renew because at the time, Tyson was no longer the champion. His star was kind of fading. And this was before the uh, allegations. Mm. Let's leave it at that. That's true, too. Though I think there's, by the time Street Fighter Two came out, those allegations were a thing, so... Yeah. yeah. So. But, but anyhow, this leaves the side effect of having to rearrange other names. So... In, so the Japanese Balrog becomes the American Vega, and really that uh, rename doesn't really... Neither of those names are indi- indicative to me of a fence-climbing bullfighter with a mask. <sighs> and then Japan's Vega becomes America's M. Bison. So, that, so, so the, hence the... Uh, the, the unofficial nicknames for these characters for differentiating between the language barriers and the cult and the cult and the what the culture for the game is between Japan and the English speaking world. So we so generally they're referred to as boxer, bullfighter, and dictator. Fortunately, in all regions, Sagat is always Sagat because he is also a holdover from Street Fighter One. Yep, he was that game's final boss, in fact. And Singley is no longer a member of Shadowloo and Street Fighter V. So, hmm. um, just as well, guy deserves better. <laughs> Sagat. He yeah. was always yeah. an interesting character because I don't know, like you sit, he doesn't fit the rest of them. And, and like he was just always like he was more cunning than that. How he was portrayed, it just always looks like you're too smart for this. You could be running things. Kind of. Yeah, he's not explicitly evil in the game's canon. He's just ruthless, aggressive, and revenge-driven. Yeah. yeah. So that's what leads him to Shadowloo, so he could get after Ryu in the Street Fighter tournament as revenge for that massive scar Ryu's dragon punch left on his chest. Yep. Wow, revenge sure follows him around since somebody, <laughs> some other character eventually wanted revenge on Sagat for killing his dad. But... Which we will get into shortly as well. <laughs> so as Street Fighter Mania keeps building and building and building, 
The same thing that happened with Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Dig Dug back in the early 80s happens with Street Fighter. Bootlegs up the wazoo. <laughs> and one bootleg catches on. Street Fighter Rainbow Edition, which adds some things that Capcom would make official in Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Things like Chun-Li's Fireball and Dalsim's Teleport Move originated with a bootleg. Yep. True. Rainbow Edition's crazy. <laughs> so I... And I, I wish more companies would do that. I wish more companies would take inspiration from fan creations or or like that. Because, you know, we back you know, we've had the Five Nights at Freddy franchise, which has an official pipeline for for these fan created games, and then the creator helps with merchandising those properties and the like, which I think is freaking amazing. Well, Scott Coffins an awesome guy. That's all I have to say. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I think he enjoys seeing what the fans come up with. And he's always kind of been very heavily involved in his own fan community where he, he reads like the theories that are on Reddit. He watches the YouTube channels. He responds back to actually his, the people on YouTube who come up with the theories. Like he actually responded back to, I think Matt Pat, one of Matt Pat's theories back, I think, when four came out, and he was just like, "Yeah, you're not on the right track, but keep trying." Like he he gives feedback when they're right or wrong of what he's planning. So that's kind of cool, and I wish I agree with you. I wish more video game companies did that because these are your these are the people buying your games. Talk with them. Like yeah. Neatly does it with um, Bendy and the Ink Machine. And his, you know, him and Mike Mead, the two of them are constantly talking back and forth with the play, with the with the fans to get an idea of what they want or what they're coming up with, and I, you know, they enjoy that. Um, so it's I wish more did because it would be really cool to see what they come up with going off of what fans. It actually just occurred to me, Capcom tying this back into Street Fighter, incidentally. Has done an instance of that where they made a fan game uh, kind of a quasi official release when uh, somebody made a custom Mega Man game using Street Fighter characters as the bosses. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mega Man X Street Fighter. I still have yet to try that. Have either of you guys given that a shot? <laughs> I played it. It's. I haven't. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, the boss battles are. If I remember right, the boss battles are really cool, but the level design is kind of, yeah. Mm. Um, it definitely doesn't feel it. It definitely doesn't feel like a. I, I I'll put it this way: I've played fan Mega Man games that felt more like a real Mega Man game than that one did. Um, though I hate to sully the uh, the the good merit on that, I can't help but feel that Capcom made that official more because they didn't have uh, something for Mega Man's anniversary than the fact that they, uh... It's tough designing a good Mega Man stage. They have a certain flow to them where each segment is like its own set piece. Yeah. It, it, it's not terrible. It's actually, it's still pretty cool. Like I said, the boss battles are really neat, especially when you, when, uh... When the uh, the Street Fighter character you're fighting does their super move, it does the like it does a quick little zoom up on them before they do the move, which is actually really neat to see in a Mega Man game. Okay, but yeah, the boss battles are really cool in that it the level design. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how many people were 
doing it, but level design wasn't the greatest, but the boss battles are all really good in it, so I'll, I'll give that to it. All right. And also, it's free. Also, it's free, so why not check it out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that too. That too, absolutely. Yeah, you're not paying anything for it. So back on our chronology. Okay. Back on our chronology, uh, the next release in Street Fighter 2's late, uh, iteration uh, history is Super Street Fighter 2, the new Challengers, which takes an already multinational cast and adds four more to it. Mex- Mexico's T-Hawk, who is a blatant Native American stereotype, and the game's second grappler. Jamaica's DJ, another rather blatant stereotype. Uh, Hong Kong's Fei Long, a blatant ripoff of Bruce Lee. You always need one of those in a fighting game. <laughs> another stereotype. And Cammy from England, who isn't a stereotype, but is the most poorly dressed special forces operative I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, see. And and for whatever reason, uh, what popped in my head was my favorite scene from the American Street Fighter cartoon, which actually has to do with Cammy and Chun-Li, which is they both attack like bison for like, because you killed my father and like, Cammy comes in, you killed my father, or you killed my father and like he's, stops her and then Chun-Li comes in it's like monster you killed my father and he stops her and he's like what is with you women I killed my father too and you don't hear me whining about it <laughs> which I was like this show is not good enough to have a line that good <laughs> but, but yet it's still it's still well played like, like yeah. seriously I killed my own dad and you don't see bitch, me bitching go home <laughs> Now, did he do it on Tuesday? <laughs> That's a good question. Which is the best? Which is the best line in that that movie? <laughs> well, and, and really, day I killed you. yeah, and only Raul Julia could get away with that line. Like, truly, the way he says it is, well, I don't care. Like, I'm sorry, I don't give a shit. Like, we're so used. To, sorry, <laughs> but we're so used to like. The, you know, the protagonist going, you killed my father, prepare to die. And they're like, oh my God, I will fight you. You know, like it's, but like a true dictator would not care. Oh, I'm sorry. That was a regular Tuesday for me. Sorry. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> See, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> And before Street Fighter wound up into its next actual series, there will be one last iteration on 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which added one final character, the first hidden boss in video game history, for a fighting game anyway, Akuma. Uh. And this is where Ryu's story starts actually getting at least quasi-interesting. Because now he's got his... Now he has another dedicated rival in addition to Sagat, and someone who ties more directly into his his past and upbringing. There also is a little of an interesting history to uh, the unlocking of Akuma in that game, anyways. Um, Hit us. Okay, uh, the meth long time ago in like just Street Fighter Two, uh, EGM released the uh, EGM Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine 
released this April Fool's gag that said that you could unlock a secret boss named Shing Long, and I forget the exact method that you do to do it, by doing a certain uh, thing in, like, Street Fighter, uh, in Street Fighter 2, which was fake. But the thing is, the way to unlock him is the exact way you unlock Akuma in Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. So... So Capcom took their April Fool's gag and kind of made it a legit thing. Like two years later. Yeah. So that's kind of a neat little... And the whole Shenlong thing came from a mistranslation. Because where you would say, after winning a fight, you must defeat Shenlong to stand a chance. It was supposed to be, you must defeat my Dragon Punch to stand a chance. Yep. Well, you know. If you do meet Ching Long, he'll just give you a wish after collecting all seven Dragon Ball. Oh, wait. <laughs> Wrong game series. That's another time. But. One of these days they'll cross over. <laughs> oh. Capcom's crossed over with nearly everything else at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if it's already been done and we just haven't heard of it. <laughs> uh, ain't going to happen in Smash, that's for sure. <laughs> no. I don't know. So by the time we're all wondering whether or not Capcom knows how to count to three, which, as if anybody is a Mega Man fan, knows, oh, we know all too well. <laughs> Capcom goes in a side direction with Street Fighter with a mid-quill. Rather than going straight on to three, they put a game in the right in the continuity point between... Street Fighter 1 and Street Fighter 2, calling it Street Fighter Alpha. However, you... in Japan, it's called Street Fighter Zero. Hmm. Which hmm, kind of messes up the whole idea of the of it being a, an, an, in, an in-between quill, but eh, that's Japan. Well, it's also Street Fighter. I mean, Street Fighter 4 takes place before Street Fighter 3, if that makes much sense. No, yeah, this is true. just Capcom being Capcom. In... Yeah, but Alpha really does work, try to incorporate as many aspects of Street Fighter's history and the spinoff's history as it can, because not only are Ken, Ryu, and Chun-Li all back, but you get Charlie, Guile's friend who M. Bison had killed, appearing in Alpha, you, you get... Uh, Characters from Final Fight showing up in the form of uh, of Guy and Saddam. And you get the first appearance of characters from Street Fighter 1 who did not cross over into 2 for the, for the first time in the modern... In, the, in, in that... Uh, let me start that sentence <laughs> over again. I speak English. You get characters making the transition to playable for the first time since they first appeared as unplayable characters in Street Fighter 1, Adon and Birdie. And, oh God, Birdie. Oh, uh, also, one of the few Street Fighter characters I actively dislike. <laughs> because his appearance is one of the most repugnant black stereotypes I have ever seen. I just want to know how he does his mohawk, because that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> It's like there's... yeah, his mohawk does have a hole in it, which is surprising. It's like how, how even, 
how that, that must have taken a lot what? of gel lots of gel yeah and here's the funny thing birdie was not always black in the first street fighter game he was white yep and in street fighter alpha 3 which is more proof that capcom can count to three by the way he he plays it off by saying oh that time i was sick yeah oh boy yeah and but also street fighter alpha brings back hidden characters because there's a variety of bosses in addition to M. Bison and Akuma. There is Dan. Oh, oh Dan. Man. This I I feed the floor to you because this is your boy. I love Dan. He is the best. Um it's like the only character I think I like more than Chun Li is Dan, because Dan is the man. Um yeah, Dan Dan's uh origin is that his uh his dad, Go, who was also a great martial artist got killed by Sagat. Uh, he is responsible for Sagat losing an eye. Um, his dad took out Sagat's eye in a fight, and Sagat responded back by taking out his life. Um, and uh, Dan was, and Dan, uh, upset by this, decided to uh, get revenge and defeat Sagat. Ended up being trained by Ken and Ryu's teacher. However, his teacher felt that Dan was too fueled by revenge and not any other, you know, honorable reason that he kicked Dan out of his teaching, which Dan was just like, fine, I will create my own martial arts with blackjack and hookers. And <laughs> anyways, couldn't resist the Futurama reference, but, no. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I'm going to create my own martial arts and call it Psycho Ryu. And all of his moves look like Kid and Ryu's moves, except bad. <laughs> like a one-handed fireball that barely goes any distance. However, it does also seem insulting because it kind of looks like he slaps you in the face when he does it. So, Also has the best move in video game history, the super taunt. Yes, yes, the super taunt. Which uses a what? How many super bars does it use? Three? Uh, it uses one, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, it uses okay. one. Though there's some uh, games that have does. a super super taunt. So, but all all he does is taunt you during this time frame, and it and it's not even a trap like when uh, SNK's Ryuji Yamazaki stick, starts wagging his tongue at you. It all all he's you can hit him out hit Dan out of this at any time. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. He just rolls around and it's like, do shit to show, rah, rah, rah. Oh, yeah, gee. <laughs> and just keeps, like, taunting you multiple times in a row before he'll uh, eventually just give a thumbs up to the screen. However, it can boost your uh, it can boost your opponent and yours uh, energy bars in some versions. So. Now, we went over the canonical history of Dan, but... His his uh, background, uh, development background, is actually even more interesting. You mean like the fact he's friends with Blanca? And I, I mean the fact that he's a parody of SNK characters. Ah, even better. Yes, uh, SNK made Art of Fighting, which is an obvious ripoff of Street Fighter 2, to the point to where, well, one of the characters' name is Ryo and looks surprisingly like Ken. 
Um, and it was developed by uh, the creator of the original Street Fighter, I believe. That is correct. And uh, but yeah, it has. And then there's Robert Garcia, and uh, who is Rio's rival. And uh, what and what Capcom did as kind of a as a response to Art of Fighting was they created Dan, who is pretty much like Rio's body with uh, Robert Garcia's head. Um, and sadly, his. However, what's even sadder is Dan's first appearance. Technically, is a character art not in Alpha, but if I remember right, is Super Street Fighter Turbo of Saget. Yeah, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, and in the I had that in strategy guide that had that art in it. Yeah, it's uh, Saget's holding a holding a fire that he has destroyed and looks potentially dead. Or very crippled, and it actually was pretty much made to look like Robert Garcia in Rio with Rio Sakazaki's body, and they took that presumably dead <laughs> random fighter and created Dan based on that, based on that parody. Um, and this would not be the last time Capcom would take some jabs at their competition. I, I think the funniest thing is. SNK absolutely loves Dan, despite the fact he was made to mock them, because every, the few times that SNK has had the chance of, like, using Dan in a game, they up the ante on the Rio parody of him. Because uh, in uh, SNK vs. Street Fighter, uh, SNK vs. Capcom Chaos, which was the first game that SNK made, uh, they added, Dan has uh, Rio's one punch super, except when Dan does it, it breaks his head and he falls over crying. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll also do like Rio's giant fireball attack and stuff. And they did that in uh, the SNK vs. Capcom uh, Neo Geo Pocket game too, where he'll do Rio's giant fireball attack. It's just they up the ante of the parody because they think it's hilarious. So, but, uh, also, interesting things about Dan, though, other than the parody aspect, is adding him to the Capcom canonic cano uh, canon, they decided that uh, he was friends with uh, Blanca before Blanca became, well, Blanca. And mm. seemingly, he's responsible for teaching Blanca how to roll. <laughs> Inadvertently make, making one of the most physically violent Street Fighter characters even more dangerous. <laughs> He also is a uh, kind of the teacher of Sakura. <laughs> ah, Sakura. Uh, Sakura. Who would make her debut in Street Fighter Alpha 2. Except for Sakura doesn't exactly take him all that seriously. Um, no. It's just kind of like whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's more like he kind of said, you're my, you're my student. It's like, okay. And then like, her moves are even better than his. It's just like, she's like, oh, well, this guy's helping me try to find that Rio, Ryu guy. Oh, the, the perils <laughs> of precocious schoolgirl crushes. See, I also remember one of my favorite things in Street Fighter 4 was uh, it actually gave an explanation for why Dan wasn't in Street Fighter 2, which uh, he's talking to... Uh, there's a little cutscene where he's talking to uh, Blanca, and he's like, "Jimmy, 
why didn't you tell me about this competition that every that you were in and everyone else was? And he's like, I tried. You haven't paid your phone bill in, in like five years. <laughs> oh, Dan. Now, Dan was actually considered the original joke character, though, to be put in a fighting game. And it actually kind of... That is correct. He actually, and I think he kind of, like, he just... That whole entire category of type of fighter just kind of took off from there, I think. Like, yep. He, mm-hmm. See, with uh, we basically have Dan to thank for Jigglypuff and Smash, or a uh, role in a uh, Marvel versus Capcom two, or Marvel yes. versus Capcom one. Sorry, both. Yep. See, uh, though I do love Dan on Marvel superheroes versus Street Fighter, where they keep him <laughs> a more effective. Or lengthwise more effective fireball, except it's not a fireball. It's him signing his autograph on a picture and throwing it at you. <laughs> Which, if you time it right, he can actually... Because he first holds it up in front of him and then throws it. And if you time it right, when he holds it up in front of him, he can actually block a fireball and then throw it. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Interesting note, though, in Street Fighter Alpha 3, Dan actually has very high throw priority to balance him out with the other fighters. While all of his other moves are pretty bad, his throw priority is higher than most characters that aren't a grapple character. And that's actually, that actually brings me to a point about early, uh, early fighting game competition. Way back in the early days, throws were considered the cheapest of moves. Yeah, because it's really easy to like kind of just get someone in a corner or get close to him and throw it. I think that's why in Alpha 3 they changed it to where it's not just forward and like punch or kick. It's now like you had to press uh, two, both uh, light punch and light kick at the same time. Mm, right. Which I actually kind of prefer, um, to be honest. I do too. It, it definitely makes it more something that you, you do on purpose rather than just just you're going for a combo and then oops i threw you yep i i know there's uh some of the later not later king of fires mid king of fires game now i was thinking later but more mid area king of fires games actually made it to you where you couldn't be thrown if you were ducking which was really weird <laughs> it's like how does that prevent okay yeah it's like wait that that makes me more likely to be grabbed Granted, that was that weird period of time where uh, SNK's games were being made in Korea, so and not actually by SNK, but that's a, another story for another day. <laughs> I, I think as far as fight as far as video game companies go, SNK is like the freaking phoenix because it's like they have died and come back so many times. It's amazing. And that actually brings me to another good point uh, back related to Street Fighter. This. I can't think of any game series beyond, say, Double Dragon that has spawned so many imitators, spin-offs, rip-offs, take-offs, and what have you, as Street Fighter did with one-on-one fighting games. In the years that followed, you would get, of course, SNK's myriad series, like Art of Fighting and King of Fighters, which we've alluded to, but also Fatal Fury and Samurai Showdown. Data East would get sued by Capcom over... uh, 
over fighters' history. Which, uh, to be honest, I can't say I blame Capcom for trying that because as much as I love Data East, ooh, that game was a little mm, too close to comfort. Yeah. I mean, the character select music on that game sounds almost identical to the character select music from Street Fighter 2, for example. And, and of course, in the West, you'd, Midway would uh, spawn their own franchise with Mortal Kombat as a response to Street Fighter, but deciding to do it as sort of a game like uh, to center around Jean-Claude Van Damme. Of course, they couldn't get him. No, but... And probably for the best of the day. Ah, uh, Mortal Kombat. I've honestly never really been a fan of that series. I, I, well, back then, it was not especially deep. Well, back then... Well, no, back then, its biggest thing was like, hey, we have blood, and you can kill the other characters. Where with Street Fighter, they were just knocked out. Like, I think, because I remember like back in high school when we had like the Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat fight, and... I was just like, okay, like, and, you know, they would argue about it in God's study hall of all places. We would, um, that would actually be the purpose of study hall was to argue about video games. Um, and I brought in, I think it was the Street Fighter 2 edition of Nintendo Power. Um, cause I had a, and then we, and then there was just, then when Mortal Kombat came out, it was like this huge fight of, well, which one's the better fighting game and which one is, and and well, and a lot of the boys would be like, "Well, this one's grittier," and someone and I was just like, "Yeah," and there's no purpose to it. It's grittier, but having gore for the sake of gore is not really fun. Like, like I I never understood yeah. that. Like, where it's like, "Well, it's a grittier game." Okay, you're saying that like it's a positive thing, like. Yeah, and uh, I also well, to a thirteen-year-old boy at the time. It probably was. Yeah, I remember a lot of people also said they liked the graphics style better, which even back then I thought looked cheap and bad. Yeah. <laughs> I always, admittedly, like like I said in the last episode, I had a crush on Katana, but well, I think that was as much the actress as the character. <laughs> yes. And I always uh, felt the graphics in Street Fighter were so much better because I mean the graphics really went over the range of typical sixteen bit cartoonish to cell shaded to 3d modeling like they ran the gambit of the different ways that you could actually do graphics and they've always did a good job of making it look fluid where you didn't have yeah. the glitching yeah that and i don't know the the real actors thing just makes when you do something like really crazy, like uh, Luke King's like bicycle kick or something, it just looks really hokey in comparison to when you use graphics that look a little bit less realistic, for lack of better words. It um, looked even sillier in the movie. Yeah. Which, as much as I'm not a fan of the Mortal Kombat games, I actually kind of like the first Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> well, it helps that it had Frank Welker. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's always a problem. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, the, like, out of the two, I think the Mortal Kombat movie was a bit more better written than than the than the Street Fighter movie. Both, you're turning off your brain and just having a good time. <laughs> That's the purpose of life. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, and 
as weird as it is to say it, actually, I think the Mortal Kombat movie is more game accurate, weirdly. I agree. <laughs> but probably I agree. amazing, but true. So, so one last point on the Street Fighter games to wrap up this discussion for now. There will probably be a part two to this at some point, but probably not for at least a few months. We've got a lot of topics we want to hit on. Mm-hmm. Capcom themselves also came out with a lot of, of uh, derivatives. It, it was practically a cottage industry for them to make games in this mold between Darkstalkers, Red Earth, Cyberbots, the Marvel games, and so on. It just seemed like every year Capcom was just churning out more and more and more and then the bottom fell out. Yeah. Do you think it was oversaturation? Do you think it was just changing tastes of the market? Do you think it was the advent of the 3D fighting games that uh, stalled them in their tracks for so long? Uh, I, I I don't think the 3D fighting games really affected it much. I think it probably is a combination of oversaturation and just change in the marketplace. Because fighting games are now kind of a niche thing these days. Um, they're not, they're popular, but they're not like the big, like main game series anymore. Like they used to be. I think a lot of it too is, is, is the satur- oversaturation the market. Cause when, before it used to be, you had your choice of street fighter and mortal Kombat, And then it became street fight. You know, then you had, you added in, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Terminator fighters, um, clay fighters, Darkstalkers, Tekken came in and was a big deal. Um, Killer Instinct, um, Injustice, like you started getting more of these games. Virtual Fighter. Virtual Fighter. Smash Brothers, which um, which I think is an oddball in the fighting genre because I don't know anyone who does not enjoy playing Smash Brothers. I know a few people who don't, but for the most part, uh, Smash Brothers is a lot better in the pickup and play thing i will say that absolutely it's also the most unique fighting game you can get because it's definitely a thing all of its own and the few attempts people have made to try to imitate it has always failed because i don't think i I don't think you can make that game work without sakurai to be honest (laughs) probably not well and it's i mean it's it's one of those games where Anyone could play it. It's a family-friendly game. It's a family-friendly fighting game. You you could have the whole family play it versus you don't think you would want your eight-year-old kid playing Mortal Kombat or Tekken. No. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those games where the whole family can play it and you don't have to worry about uncomfortable conversations. And yet people keep unironically wanting Doom Guy to be in... <laughs> Smash Brothers. And Master Chief. Yeah. All right. I think for the time being, that covers it. We've at least hit upon uh, major points on the first Street Street Fighter, the arc of Street Fighter 2, and the arc of Street Fighter Alpha. If we return to this, we'll probably talk about Street Fighters 3, 4, and 5, and maybe get into some of the crossover games as well. Don't forget about X. But in the meantime, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have This Day in Video Game History, And we will just wrap things up.
are back, and now it is time for This Day in Video Game History. I just so happen to have a quick little factoid up right here. Today, in 1988, Square released the role-playing game Final Fantasy II for the Nintendo Entertainment System in Japan. The game would not only be extremely popular, but also very long-lived, with various ports of the game being sold right up through the modern day. According to uh, the date I found here in AlteredGamer.com, by the close of the first fiscal quarter 2003, the game would have sold over 1.28 million copies. Now, I also remember Final Fantasy II being a very contentious game in the Final Fantasy canon. Wait, this is the original? This is the Japanese the Street Fighter. Uh, Final Japanese Fantasy. Final Fight. Final, Final, Final right. Fantasy. This is, the this, is the, this is the Japanese one. We didn't get Final Fantasy until Final Fantasy 3. Um, so this was yeah. one that didn't... 4. This, it was four. 4, yeah, 4. Yeah. So we didn't really get this one until much, much later in the life cycle. Um yeah. This is the one that was developed by the gentleman who would eventually go on to create the Saga series... And it shows. Because <laughs> this is the one where if you want to make your characters physically tougher, you can literally attack your own party members to do so. Yeah, uh, I never played this one a whole lot, but yeah, I've, I have I did watch a friend of mine. Um, let's see, a friend of mine. Uh, shoot. Uh, a friend of mine. Um, uh, Crunchy actually did a stream of the of him playing the entirety of Final Fantasy two, and yeah, close to the end of that, he was getting beyond frustrated with that game. I believe it. Yeah, I think it's across the board. Tying into that, uh, oh, I, said, ahead, I think I think that was a very um, a very um. I think that was the consensus across the board. As you got further in the game, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you're just like, what? Come here. Um, but I have to say the music from that game is actually very beautiful. Um, I actually did see A Distant World, and that was, I'm listening to some of the music from 2. You know, I, it was a very beautifully well-written score for the game. Oh, coincidentally, uh, leading off of that subject, uh, the games that spawned off from Final Fantasy II, the aforementioned Saga series, which would be released uh, in the States as Final Fantasy Legend on the Game Boy, those are being re-released on the Switch this week. Nice. Also came off of it, too, was uh, the Mana series, like Secret of Mana, Sword of Mana. That was a spinoff of the Final Fantasy, out of Final Fantasy II, too, um, as well. So, I mean, Final Fantasy created so many good um, offshoots of itself. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Hey, and that actually is kind of uh, well-timed, considering, like, not too long ago, Sephiroth was revealed to be in a Smash. Yes! Yeah, that's... The... It didn't break Twitter like the announcement of Minecraft Steve did, but that is still a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've i had mixed feelings on it. Part of me is like, I, it's like, yeah, we need more villains in uh, Smash. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, but why that one? <laughs> it's like... I think, I, I think he's the one who will get the most attention 
across both coasts. He is, because Seven is really popular, but there's that part of me that's like, I would have rather had Kepka. It it also makes me feel bad for Cloud, because every time Cloud gets to, like, it gets to be a cameo or something in some other game, eventually Sephiroth gets put in that game, too. Yeah. It happened in Kingdom Hearts, even. Admittedly, I would have liked Kefka, too, but I think to properly rival with Kefka, because that seems to be a running theme that they've done in some of their trailers, where you see video game heroes facing off with their rivals, uh, you would need a Final Fantasy VI hero to pair up with Kefka. Yeah. I think it would have been nice to have a square character that wasn't a Final Fantasy character, to be honest. Like, I don't know, Chrono would have been cool or yeah. something. But, um, cool. you know, that's That would have been cool if they could bring in, like, some of like some of their other properties that they're known for as well. Like, <coughs> Gino! <coughs> Gino! <laughs> like, He's technically a square he character. Has, he is. He is. He is let's see. He had a cameo in the uh, original version of Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga. He did. But, they took that out of the remake. So. Oh. Well, they, they kind of had to because um, they kind of got... There was a little bit of a licensing issue. Yeah. There's always a licensing issue with Square. But Apparently, the reason we, we see so few spirit battles with Cloud in the current Smash Brothers game is because Square waited until literally the 11th hour... Before they said, "Okay, you can put Cloud in." Yeah. Let's see. Oh man. And well, maybe at least this time we'll get more than like I don't know two songs from Square. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. Because uh, like that—that's the saddest thing is like Cloud gets put in there, we get like two songs, then Terry Bogart gets put in, and we get like this giant amount of SNK music, like forty. Yeah, basically, after I made up a list of of songs that he and his composers were interested in, submitted to SNK, saying, which ones can we use? SNK basically took a look at it and said, okay! <laughs> yeah. He's just like, you want our music? Here! <laughs> Have fun! And, and it was and it was amazing, though, because there was, like, really obscure stuff, like the first level theme from Athena, of all things, is in there. <laughs> which, oh, God, I hate that game. <laughs> Is there a chance we'll be seeing Athena on, say, Arcade Funhouse sometime? Believe it or not, that's an episode I've been wanting to do for a long time, and there's only one reason I haven't. I can't beat the first level of that game. Oh, no. That's the only thing keeping me from reviewing it. You could wow. just I'm like, I at, least, <laughs> I at least want to beat the first level before I can, like, review it. Great, that didn't stop me from reviewing that weird Taito God... Godzilla wannabe Godzilla game, but still, I'm just like, I want to at least be able to beat the first level of this before I review it, and I've been trying for years. <laughs> and of course, you can find Arcade Funhouse and all of Pembroke's other videos on YouTube at his channel, Artificial Orange Studios. And don't forget about his comic. <laughs> Thepukas.com uh, is my webcomic. The Pukas. It's very good. Uh, I like to describe. Uh, I like to describe it as saying it, or just by saying what I was inspired by as like, it's about a group of like rabbit characters who are who are exiled to explore their underground caverns from their village and look for a pre uh, a missing group of uh, Puka characters that 
uh, left years before and never returned. Um, my inspirations for it was a combination of Cave Story, Fraggle Rock, Gurren Lagan, and Bone. So, there you go. That's an esoteric set of inspirations. <laughs> <laughs> Anything having to do with Fraggle Rock is A-OK -okay with me. That's my favorite Jim Henson project. And of course, uh, Chrissy and I can be found on the uh, Joystick Journeys site on Facebook, and also wherever you can find the Flower City Comic Con uh, activity on Facebook. We're usually pretty close behind, and we we will of course be publishing this episode on on Thursday and uh, the day before. We there will be the Monkey Business Podcast. I have no idea what Chris and company are coming up with. I don't even think they know until they hit record. Yeah, that's part for the course. Yeah, and at some point they're going to be ragging on poor Tanya about stuff she hasn't seen. No, that's, See, I, that's true. I do you want to say that. that whenever you... Oh, sorry. And by the way, Chris, Tanya, Billy, Dan, if ever you guys decide you want to do an episode on Saturday morning cartoons, bring Pembroke in. There are few people better equipped to discuss even the most obscure things. Yeah, I've watched Mush. That's a... Ooh, that's... That's one of the worst cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons I've ever watched. Yeah, Mush. The, uh, parodying M.A.S.H. It, it aimed at children. I, I just, the mind boggles. Good old Filmation. Oh, yeah. um, no, I was going to say, uh, whenever you do do go to the Street Fighter again, I, I hope I get to be a guest on that, too, because Street Fighter 3 Third Strike is my favorite Street Fighter I game. Think, so. oh, I absolutely. think that's a definite at this point. <laughs> Yeah, and we. I'm I'm going to say this to every guest, but uh, Pembroke, you're going to be the first guest I say this to. You are always welcome at our table. Awesome. And I'm on that note, we are going to say goodbye and good night. I'm James Irish for Chrissy Harding and Pembroke W. Corgi. We bid you adieu, and of course, seeing you in action is a joke. See you later. <laughs> see ya.